0: This is The Editor's Half Hour. Step into the life of an editor for 30 minutes as we discuss the craft of editing, industry trends, and editorial resources. Your host is co-founder and CEO of Peak Publishing Inc, Nadia Zhaja Pupa. She is experienced in all facets of the publishing industry from editing to design and works with corporate clients and self-published authors. Nadia and her guests are about to share powerful insights and stories on what it takes to be an editor. And this is your host, Nadia Jaja Pupa.
1: Welcome listeners to the Editor's Half Hour. We are talking about academic editing today. This is an excellent topic for several editors in the world. This is an interesting world because there's a lot of nuances when it comes to academic editing. Today I am interviewing Kara Jordan, who is a true expert in this world. She is the owner of Flat Page. I think it is it Flat Page Editorial. I want I don't want to say it incorrectly, Kara, but I'll let you just um, Flat Page. Let, yeah. <laughs> just Flat Page. Okay, so Flat Page is. I just want to encourage all the listeners to look at her website. The website is amazing. It is inspirational. You can get inspired by the type of branding and messaging on her website, the fonts and the colors. Oh, it's so awesome. I got lost in the website because of the amazing blog post. So, welcome, Kara. Please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about um, your background and how you got into establishing the agency flat page.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much, Nadia, for having me. And that's so kind of you to say about the website, actually, because uh, my partner and I designed it ourselves and built it on WordPress and, you know, that whole thing was, you know, an ordeal, I guess. Um, but like you said, my name is Kara. I run an editorial agency and publishing house It's called FlatPage. Uh, officially, we've been in business, I guess, since the beginning of the pandemic, but I've been an academic editor primarily for about 15 years. I actually started off in the arts world. So I was editing for artists, writing for artists, and uh, because I was doing a PhD in art history, I translated that into mainly copy editing, but also some developmental editing um, for academics primarily. So at FlatPage, we primarily work with academic clients. I would say about 70% of our clients come from academia. Um, We also have a a mix of other types of clients from people working on general nonfiction books to um, businesses, corporations. I also have a background working as an editor in tech, so that's part of who we work with as well. Um, But I, um, in addition, this year began teaching at the University of California, San Diego's copy editing program. So, you know, my background is as a copy editor. Yeah, um, I'm sure we'll talk about that more.
1: Yes, (laughs) Um, I can't wait to hear about that.
2: Yeah, go ahead. um, My background is as a copy editor, but now I have contractors that sort of run the gamut from, you know, the beginning stages of coaching clients to helping them by editing their text to now, I guess we're going into publishing. So, you know, we're seeing the full spectrum of coming up with an idea to actually getting it on the printed page, which is a really exciting place to be as somebody from an editorial background.
1: That is amazing, and your company is growing, and it's it's a it's so cool to see that and hear about that. Um, and you said that you're also in the process of publishing books, or you're kind of transitioning, so you're you have the the editorial services as part of the company, but you also want to um, become a publisher, right?
2: Yes, so we are publishing our first book. It's going to be a guide to academic editing. Uh, We saw a need for this sort of in the book marketplace because. Especially in academia, a lot of the editorial processes happen behind the scenes. Like people, Mm -hmm. the academics don't want others to know that they get editing. Um, We're very much like a word of mouth type business, I would say, Mm -hmm. Um, unless Mm -hmm. you're part of an agency like ours, where we try to be more public and we market more towards the public sphere. Mm -hmm. Um, But we found Mm -hmm. that because of that sort of layer of secrecy, that there's a lot of confusion over the different types of editing, when they take place Mm -hmm. in the development of a manuscript. And we wanted to provide that sort of guide to how the different stages work. Um, Mm -hmm. The book is meant for both editors so that we can learn from each other and help to start distinguish the different services that we offer. And also for authors who might be searching for an editor themselves, or if they want to apply the principles of whatever editorial niche it is to their own work.
1: That's excellent. What a great resource for everybody. You know, that's, it's really important to understand those differences in the editorial world too. So, you know, the different levels of editing, all of that stuff sounds like it'll be in that book, which is really cool. Um, And also really cool is that Caroline Malloy, who is on the podcast, is a contributor to the book. So that's very cool, Uh, completely... Uh, coincidence. I think I'm learning now that the editorial world, the more editors I'm meeting and getting to know, we're connected in some way. Oh, you know, such and such, or you know who, you know, it's really funny that we're, we're, I'm, we're really, truly connected. And it is a small, smaller community than I realized. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing I have, Um, but it's, it's really fun meeting other editors. Um, Okay. So, so let's just jump right into academic editing, you know, this, this giant world, um, there's different nuances to it. What are, and I already have, so, cause I, I do a little bit of academic editing and do some graphic design work for a few academic institutions, not many, but there are challenges. There are challenges working with academic people, you know, scholars, yeah. subject matter experts. Um, Let's just get right in and talk about the, the challenges. I want to hear from you, Kara. in your experience, what are some of those challenges that you face, whether you're working directly with a client or the editors on your team, what sort of things come up continuously? And you're like, yep, we know how to deal with this one, you know?
2: <laughs> well, I think just from the tone in your voice, we might as well address the elephant in the room that a lot of <laughs> academic clients are difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's reasons for that. You know, I think uh, yeah. we're trained in academia to be very careful of our words and how we say mm-hmm. things, and to say things in a way that's either very different from somebody that we're, you know, reacting to in terms of our ideas, or to follow them quite closely. So I've found that clients. You know, I wouldn't and I wouldn't say it's all academic clients for sure, by yeah. far. I would actually say this is the minority, but um there are certain clients who are they bristle at um mm-hmm. at being edited in general, um yeah. having their words changed, having someone comment and give them feedback. Um and the way that I've addressed that, at least as an editor and how I, how I, you know, go about my daily business and as I'm teaching at UCSD is that we, you know, we try to be as diplomatic as we can in our queries. Mm. Um, we also need to really be clear about our expectations for projects. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the second point that I wanted to make about academic clients is that they need a bit of handholding in terms of what editing is.
1: Mm. And
2: again, That's what the different types of editing are that are even available. I would That's say that like many clients come to me and they're like, oh, I didn't even know developmental editing was available or a thing. So, yep. you know, they, they didn't even realize that you could pay somebody to, to help you with their manuscript in that way.
1: That's so great to, it's, it's reassuring to hear that too, because it is, it's not uncommon. It's very common for writers in, academic people to not be familiar with dev editing? Like, what is that? So that's very cool. Uh, and it's 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 good to know that. Um, this is kind of dovetailing into the course, because I want to know if you cover this in the course, or do you have some sort of statement for students to acknowledge the fact that the academic client is not the same as the self-published author writing fiction. It The self-published author writing fiction is... It has a completely different intention, which is to entertain an audience. Um, academic clients are primarily educating their audience in a subject matter. And um, at least what I've, ex- my experiences have not been negative. And I don't want to come off as a completely negative <laughs> editor uh, because it is fun and it's engaging. But sometimes I've come across situations where there's a committee that is looking at a document or an infographic that I'm working on. and it's like when you once you have a committee looking at something it will take several months it took several months to get paid it was um a little irritating in that way that having to deal with uh, several opinions on some on one piece um but it was on really cool topics and it was really amazing to be a part of that it was like almost groundbreaking so i could see why a committee was required but those things can happen and it's very frustrating and it's very annoying, but it's also equally rewarding. And that's why people find their niche in academic editing. So this is getting me into the UCSD course that you mentioned. Is this, I want to know what it, what you've kind of discussed in the course a little bit, what students are learning in that. And um, if this comes up, you know, and if it does, how do you address it with the students? Like it isn't a big elephant in the room, but there's something there, you know?
2: Sure. Well, I can think of a specific example that came up recently. Um, A big part of the class that I teach is a discussion board where all Mm -hmm. the students respond to a prompt. And one of the prompts was about how would you address finding plagiarism in a manuscript that you're working (gasps) on? And great topic. You know, the UCSD program is. I think it's oriented towards more nonfiction. There's definitely people Mm -hmm. or students in the in the certificate program that are fiction, and some that Mm -hmm. are academic editors also. But I think this is an issue that often comes up for in academic editing, just because our manuscripts tend to be heavily cited. And mm-hmm. scholars tend to borrow words and they have, you know, not that they don't have this in, say, general nonfiction, but, you know, a list of notes that they're working through that they, you know, kind of copy paste into a program like Scrivener or something. Um, mm-hmm. And they accidentally forget to to cite. You know, we always want to err on um, this was an accident and it wasn't intentional. But one of the teaching moments that I found this particular quarter, as I was discussing plagiarism with these students, was that with academic clients, you have to broach this topic in a very specific way. If you accuse someone of committing plagiarism, um, that can be a really scary thing, not only for you as an editor, but also for your client. Um, in academia, we we know what plagiarism is. It's not something that you need to explain to the clients, but right. you need to say it in a way that doesn't imply offend that. Them. Yeah, you, you don't, <laughs> don't want off. to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen yeah. it so many times like the little links to Wikipedia that just so mm-hmm. happen to pop up in the body of a text, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, I just found this. Yeah. You know, you might yeah. want to address that. Um, and I also tell them you have to have s- specific lines in your contract that deal with mm-hmm. types of issues that occur in academic manuscripts, like plagiarism, for example. So wow. that would be an example really, of how we address that.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great. There Again, there's so many nuances to academic editing, because when you're working in fiction, you're not citing sources, you know, and that's, that's a totally different playing field. So I am going to jump ahead too, because I, I, I mentioned your website. I mentioned these fabulous blog posts. Um, you had, I just got, like I said, I got sucked in because you have very pointed topics, very specific, um, things that, that you have to deal with, with academic editing. And one of those you just mentioned, which is citations, you know, you have an article and it's called using citation managers in academic writing, and I, I actually took a minute. I'm like, what's a citation manager? I have, I don't do that much academic editing. Um, it's been a while. I used to get in, I used to do a ton in academic journals. But when I saw that, I was like, this is new to me. So I don't know what a citation manager is. So can you explain a little bit about that? And PS, I will put a link to some of these specific blog posts that we discuss in the show notes. So don't worry. You don't have to search for this blog. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. So anyway, Kara, what is a citation manager?
2: Yeah. Citation managers are great. And you'd actually be surprised at how many of our clients even don't use them and Mm. end up, you know, I don't want to say wasting because of course they're paying us to do it, but you know, spending a lot of money doing their citations, getting their citations edited by an expert or converting, say, footnotes into a bibliography, which is very laborious. It's not for everybody, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, But a citation manager is a program that you'll have on your computer. They exist as browser extensions and standalone apps and websites, and they manage all of the citations that you'll use in a manuscript. So You know, instead of having to figure out, oh, did I use this source earlier in the manuscript? Can I shorten it here? Use an IBID? The, The citation manager will take care of that for you. And if you wanted to publish in a different venue, like say you had a dissertation chapter that used... The Chicago Manual of Style as a style guide, and then you wanted to convert that to APA or MLA style, the citation mm-hmm. manager will actually do that work for <gasps> you. No
1: way. Yeah. That's amazing. And this is kind of making me think of AI stuff like ChatGPT, because I had some questions for you about that. Um, Do you, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, what do you think about ChatGPT? Do you think it's affecting the academic industry? Have you witnessed or experienced that? Um, And do you think it's one of those things that we should, uh, we as a society, writers, editors, we should avoid using it? Um, What do you think about it? What's your opinion? (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean, I want to be more open than closed to new technologies because I think that there have been a lot of instances throughout the course of history where new technology has been scary at first. And then we've adapted the way that we Mm -hmm. function as professionals and as a society based around it. Like even when the internet came along, everyone's like, oh, like how you know, revolutionized the publishing industry. Right. So I would like to be more open to it. I think within academia, there are definitely challenges in terms of content creation. Um, and I, there was like, there's a really great um, podcast, not podcast, I guess a webinar that was put out by the EFA's Academic Editing Chapter a couple of weeks ago, about how to use AI in our editorial processes, which mm. really got into the differences between what are content creation AIs and what are automations and AIs that we can use to help us in our business and as editors. And I think that line, that route, is Mm. very fruitful for us as editors to figure out how we can use an artificial intelligence to help us in our processes and to Mm. automate some of the things that we don't want to do, to be honest. I mean, none of us wants to have to create a Google ad text or something, you know? (laughs) If you can use an AI to help you with that, then I think that's great um right. i think but the way that i've seen it used you know i've definitely been in my courses concerned whether or not my students would be using it and i've you know right. been suspicious of it <laughs> right. but have tried to use the ai um checker you know they have plagiarism checkers yes. but now they have ai checker i wasn't able mm-hmm. to figure it out and i think there's you know with ai generated text you can um smooth it. Just like we do as editors, like rewriting something to be in your own words. Like you use it Mm -hmm. to draft something for you. Um, and chat GPT specifically, I have found it to be really useful in a lot of my business processes, writing emails, for example, and it's really to draft something like even blog posts, drafting a blog post. And then you go in, you find, you have to find the sources because one of the problems with it is that it doesn't cite its own sources. right? Um, right. So I have found it useful. I think it's an interesting tool. I don't use it as a crutch and I don't think anyone should, but I think there's interesting ways that we as editors can interact with it.
1: I like to hear that. And I think that's, I feel the same way. Um, it is a little freaky, but it's also <laughs> one of those things that you have to kind of embrace it as a tool and not uh, re- rely on that a hundred percent. I think a lot of people would agree to that. Um, but that's cool to hear your opinion, especially being in so heavily in the academic world. Um, okay. So there are, I want to go back to, uh, your company. I want to talk about, you know, we already briefly mentioned the fact that you're working on, you know, publishing a book. um, Another blog post that I stumbled upon is talking about the three types of academic publishers. Would you mind sharing a little bit about this? Because I, in my mind, I just thought, oh, that's an academic, that's a university press. And that's as far as it goes in my mind on what's out there. Um, But for editors working with clients who are wanting to publish something by a university press or an academic institution, um, it would be really great. And really impressive if the editor was informed. So tell us a little bit about that. What are what are the different types of academic uh, publishing company or entities? What are they, and 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 how do we know the differences?
2: Yeah, of course, publishing at a university press is sort of the gold standard, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all academics want to publish with them. I would say Um, not for every text, Mm -hmm. but it helps there's pros and cons. Um, Part of the pros to publishing with the academic or university press is that you have the prestige factor, which a lot Mm -hmm. of academics are after we can't ignore that it helps them to advance in their career. So having Mm -hmm. that line on your resume helps uh, an A scholar advance in their tenured track, like to Mm -hmm. advance in their job title, there are definite reasons for doing that, but there are also drawbacks to it. It takes a really long time to publish with an academic press, and you were mentioning how long it takes to get paid by a university as an editor. Mm -hmm. Well, compound that uh, when you uh, work with them as an author, so it can take years sometimes to go through the process. So oftentimes clients will ask for, oh, what university press books have you uh, worked with clients on that have been published? Well, you know, you have to go back in your client roster from two to three years ago to see who actually was able to get through the process and publish their book. That's cool. Um, The other thing is that they're they're really um, scholarly rigorous. So they go through peer review, um, which is something Mm -hmm. that the other types of presses don't. So that's something to consider when working with clients is where they are in the process, whether or not the manuscript is still at an early draft stage or if it's, you know, they're still working on revising a dissertation into a book or if they've already done those revisions and it's on either side of the peer review process. Um, so once that's academic presses, um, there's other types of presses that are related to, you know, scholarly publishing. The next Mm -hmm. down in the line is a for-profit scholarly press for those. Um, the process is somewhat quicker. They are, I wouldn't say less scholarly rigorous because I know a lot of people who have used them, but they don't have the same cachet as a university Mm. press does. So, you know, of course, their focus on selling books and making profits, Mm -hmm. Um, they publish a lot more books because instead of saying, oh, we want, the best books, <laughs> they <laughs> instead go by the numbers. So it's a lot easier to publish with a for-profit press. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it, you're taking it down in terms of like how much it might mean to someone's career track. I um, see the other thing is that they tend to outsource much of their editorial processes. Mm-hmm. So we have had a lot of feedback that, you know, the authors are unhappy with the level of copy editing that they've gotten from some <gasps> of these presses. Oh, this
1: is so interesting. I didn't even yeah. think about that. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I had to just interject
2: and keep going. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, if you, if an author wants to remain more in control of the editorial process, oftentimes they'll come to us before it gets to the final stages, just to make sure that everything is perfect. You know, especially if you're a details oriented person or a client, I should say, uh, you might want to do that. So a lot of, I would say most academic clients who are in academia, will publish with one of these two different types of presses. The third option are related to scholarly publishing, but those are smaller presses. Oftentimes it's it's something like flat page, you know, we're attempting. Yeah. You know, as we grow as a publisher, we want to be adjacent to those ideas that are coming out, but oriented Mm -hmm. more toward a general audience. Um, mm-hmm. there are other ones out there that have specific niches, like think of a verso that's publishing leftist material. Um, mm-hmm. there are also these smaller presses that are associated with, um, with, a, with university presses like zone books. So they're still publishing academic material, but it's on a much smaller scale. Um, so again, yeah. with those, you're not going to have the same academic cachet as you would publishing I at a big university saying. press. Yeah. Um, but you're gonna have a lot more um hand holding in the in the publishing process. So you'll have a lot more control. Um the flip side of that is that authors oftentimes have to pay for most of the processes of publishing their book with these presses. Mm-hmm. So they have to pay for all the copy editing. They have to they might even have to pay for their book design or even the printing. Um, so costs are definitely a factor, I think, across the board, no matter where an author is publishing.
1: I see. I see. So this is, this is really interesting. I, I never really talked about it at this level before, um, because as an editor, you know, we can become so focused on just the copy editing or the the dev editing, um, but not really think about what that author is going through next. Like, what are those next steps? Eventually, they want to publish whatever book they're doing. Um, and so they can weigh those options. And then as the editor, we can explain what those options are, the pros and cons. You know, just because you're published by University Press, there is that prestige that comes along with it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful in book sales. And that is still a little important, too at the university level. So I, I feel like you're, you're so smart in the fact that you're seeing that you have a seat at this table with flat page. Um, I feel like this is the future of, uh, the publishing industry is going to these smaller companies, um, to get that quality because writers are not, or readers are not stupid. You know, they know the quality, they can see the quality, um, whether they may identify grammatical errors or not. The point is when content is organized in a specific way and you outsource that work, there's a disconnect sometimes between the author and the editor. So going to a place like flat page, you're not going to have that disconnect. I think that connection is going to be stronger than it would be at, you know, bigger publishing houses. So Very cool, Kara. My goodness. This is like so exciting that you're also going to be, you're in that process right now of publishing your first book too. Um, okay. So there's so much to talk about still, of course there is. Um, but let's, let's, uh, wrap this up with some final thoughts. You know, it sounds like you've got your finger on the pulse, you know, you've seen a lot in your career path. You've experienced a lot in academia. Um, what do you think the outlook is? I feel like, I, I feel like just through you talking, I've kind of figured out that you've seen, um, uh, you know, you found kind of where things are tending to go. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? What are, In terms of publishing, in terms of editing, do you think there is still a very strong need, a high demand for copy editors or line editors, dev editors? Um, go for it, I wanna hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Anyone who's in, been in academia in the past few years has seen it sort of imploding. Um, there's mm-hmm. much fewer jobs to go around. This The pandemic did not help. Um, mm-hmm. So... I don't think that that has to be entirely a negative thing. You know, we, I think at first saw a lot of people trying to transition their careers from academia into freelance editing. And at first the pool was, you know, broadening. There's, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's not, that doesn't mean that the rest of us are going to have fewer projects. In fact, we haven't found that at FlatPage at all. Um, I think it's great that the field is expanding to include more people and more subject area experts and things that didn't exist before. I think academic editing as a whole is expanding in really good and fruitful ways. These networking mm-hmm. opportunities that we've had that you were you know, mentioning earlier that it's such a small world, you know, we are so positive and supportive of each other as editors, which is anti-thematic to like how we work in academia, where there's a lot of politics and backstabbing, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's a a great career transition for people um, to make. But I also think in terms of the types of clients that we're seeing, I think people are actually trying to publish more and better, you know, whereas before Mm -hmm. they might have just sent a, you know, half-baked manuscript to a press and maybe it would have gotten published based on their reputation. Now it's getting more competitive, which means that they actually have to engage editors earlier in the process. I've Mm -hmm. also been finding that universities are becoming more willing to pay for editorial services or, you know, people, scholars are willing to use those research funds towards editing, whereas they might have used it for something else before. So, you know, I haven't found that it's been a downturn. In fact, I think, you know again, it's really expanded the fields in, in really rich ways and that we haven't seen a downturn in, in terms of the amount of work that we're getting. I
1: love that. Uh, That is so well said and so um, great to hear. It's great to hear that there's still a place for this stuff and um, editors aren't going anywhere. If anything, the demand is higher. Thank you again for taking the time and for, you know, the time difference too. You're in a completely different time zone. So I can't, I, can't thank you enough. Um, I would like to encourage our listeners to, to just check out Flat Pages website, learn more about Kara and her journey. Um, she's got excellent information on her website, amazing blog posts. I will put those in the show notes. She's speaking at EFA this year. Um, Whatever I can put in, I'll put into the show notes, so be sure to visit those to learn about you know, academic editing. If you're interested in getting your feet wet in the industry, I'm sure Kara can help. She knows everything, the ins and outs. I can't thank you enough. Thank you again, Kara, for your time today.
2: Thanks so much, Nadia, for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Editor's Half Hour. This podcast is your go-to resource for editorial trends, opening the discussion for new ideas through the real-life stories of editors. For more information about Nadia Jaja Pupa and her business, visit peakpublishing.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E publishing.com. Be sure to follow Peak Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe and follow The Editor's Half Hour wherever you get your podcasts.